Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy the show. Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by San Pellegrino Sparkling Natural Mineral Water. For more than 120 years, San Pellegrino has been inspiring people to savor life and tasteful moments around the table. As chefs and restaurants have evolved worldwide, San Pellegrino has always been there to complement the food they serve, the moments they create, and to support them in both good and challenging times. Learn more at sanpellegrino.com. I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. Today, on our fourth Andrew Talks to Chefs special conversation, Travis Peterson, also known as the Nomad Cook, joins us to discuss the growing category of cannabis on the menu that's coming right up on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, and this is our fourth already Andrew Talks to Chefs special conversation, the recurring segment we recently introduced to tackle topics that are being discussed within the industry. If you haven't checked out the first three, we've already gotten into the media's anti-fine dining agenda, the notion of crediting cooks and sous chefs on restaurant menus, And we spoke to the iconic chef, Norman Van Aken, about the latest iteration of his restaurant, Norman's, in Orlando, Florida. Those episodes are all available on andrewtalkstochefs.com, mixed in with our traditional biographical episodes. And they are also in the regular feed for the Andrew Talks to Chefs podcast on whatever platform you might listen to the show on. Just one or two quick notes before we get to today's conversation about cannabis on the menu. As I've been mentioning, my new book, The Dish, is now available for pre-order. If you plan to order the book eventually, I am humbly asking that you do it now. There are many reasons for that. I won't go into them, but it would be useful to the book and its launch. If you go to the link in the episode description for this show at andrewtalkstochefs.com, or wherever you listen, you can navigate from there to your favorite online retailer, and I thank you in advance for your support. So last week, I did something I have never done before. I walked out of my apartment, strolled about a mile into Brooklyn, into a restaurant, and participated in my first ever cannabis pop-up dinner. Now, this was not, I should say, a dinner where cannabis was smoked or edibles were consumed, at least not as part of the event itself, although those things were certainly going on around its margins. They seem to be going on everywhere in New York. If you've walked around the city in the last couple of years, you've no doubt smelled that unmistakable smell of marijuana. Uh, But this was a tasting menu evening. It was put on by a professional chef who incorporates culinary cannabis into his menus. And that chef was Travis Peterson, who goes by the name The Nomad Cook. You might have read about Travis last fall and Robert Simonson's New York Times story about his and similar pop-up dinners. 
Travis and I connected as a result, actually, of Robert's piece. And Travis invited me to come to his dinner, full disclosure. I was his guest. And I invited him to come on the show and discuss the changing landscape of food and cannabis, specifically how cannabis is regarded in the restaurant realm. Just to put my cards on the table, I am a longtime cannabis user, though I am by no means a proselytizer. I am, however, someone who considers it a substance that in every way I can think of, including healthfully and socially, based on what I've read and observed, it strikes me as more benign, certainly, than alcohol. And I'm glad to see the laws around cannabis changing around the United States and the world. There was a time not long ago when I doubt I'd have been so open about my own practices in this realm. I may not have even done episodes about it, but as the legality of cannabis changes, I don't see any reason, no logical reason anyway to hide it. I've discussed this subject in some way twice previously on the podcast and expect I'll be discussing it increasingly in the future. As always, if you have something to add to the conversation, including a dissenting view, please reach out to me via Instagram. You can DM me there. Our handle is at Chef Podcast. Or you can email me, Andrew, at andrewtalkstochefs.com. As always, I'd be happy to hear from any of you at any time and with whatever you have to say. And with that, here is my conversation with Travis Peterson on the subject of cannabis on the menu. Here you go. Travis, welcome to the show. Before we get into the conversation, why don't you just describe a little bit about this week or this period of time you're in the midst of. You do go by the Nomad Cook. I saw you in New York City less than 48 hours ago for a dinner. You're now in Seattle where you do not live for more business. Can you just describe to people what this period of time is like that you're in right now doing what you do? The Nomad Cook is really about the traveling chef. It's we bring the dinner party to you. I kind of look at you know musicians and comedians who travel on tour going city to city and that was my original concept would be to host pop-up dinners i come from canada so started with the six major cities there and since moving to the u.s in 2021 it's just opened up a ginormous market for myself you know i came to one of your dinners the other night thank you very much for having me i had a great time something that i was only very sparingly aware of through things like you know, Robert Simonson's piece in the New York Times last year that featured you. I don't even like to use this word because it sounds so square, but there is such a subculture around cannabis right now. I mean, I'm someone who's used cannabis probably my entire adult life, but, you know, I was at this dinner the other night and there were, you know, I met people who had been to other dinners like this. I met people who in one way or another are in the industry of either cannabis or, or um, what do we say, paraphernalia and accoutrement. Can you just speak to this growing community and whether or not it is actually growing or if it's just something that's been kind of underground that is now kind of emboldened by the way the, the laws are changing? I, I was fortunate coming from Canada where we federally legalized cannabis in 2018 and that's when I got started with this. My first couple of dinners, I did not want to be called a cannabis chef. I was assuming this was a fad or a niche because cannabis was becoming legal. And, you know, I was something I wanted to, to, to do once or twice, but I wasn't really expecting much out of it. I 
anticipated young 20-year-old males as the clientele, not really the demographic I wanted to focus on serving. And I couldn't have been um, more wrong. You know, to date, I've served over 10,000 people their first infused dining experience. I'm about 59% female in my attendance. My average age is around 38. And I've had about 9% first-time cannabis users. So what I've really recognized is as soon as it became legal, there's this new demographic of people out there who are kind of curious. They're open to this new experience. And I think through fine dining and through food, it's an easier entry than, you know, to get into smoking. At my table the other night, there were, I don't know how, how out these people are in their, in their professional lives, but there were two people who I'll vaguely say were in the work by day in the realm of education. There was somebody who's in the hotel business uh, as an employee, not as an owner. There was another professional. I'm not sure what that person uh, does for a living. Uh, and then there was one person who I would say is actually full-time in the indus- in the cannabis industry, right? But that is really diverse and I think to many people would probably be a surprising cross-section of people, right? And that was just at my table, you know, among the six of us there. And this is the, is the real magical thing that really grabbed me. You know, when I did my very first pop-up dinner, it was the 420 weekend of 2018. I had 164 people come through my house, which I turned into a restaurant, and so we were doing five seatings of 12 every day, flipping that table not every 90 minutes. And these were all different people coming in and couples and fours sitting at this table of 12. It, what sold me was watching people become friends, trade phone numbers. It didn't matter that they, on the on the front page, have nothing in common. Once they started talking, there's, there's this sharing component with cannabis and this is the magical thing with culinary cannabis is it really brings the discussion in on the table. It's it's a beautiful experience to, to witness and watch. Let's talk about the way you do it, okay? Your menu, I mean, if someone looked at your menu, they would have no idea it was the menu for a cannabis dinner, right? It, there was a, I guess what we would call an amuse, a little lobster tempura with a little little spoon of caviar on top. There was a beet and goat cheese. Do we call it a terrine? Yeah, I call it a terrine just because of its compression overnight. There was a, uh, was it a hen of the woods mushroom course? Yes, yeah. Uh, And there was a, a lamb course and there was dessert, right? Now, the thing for me that was kind of funny was back in my 20s, I, I lived in an apartment with some roommates and I was a restaurant publicist at the time and we would often, you know, kind of smoke and then go to a restaurant and like get the last seating. But we would always order very kind of, I don't know if decadent is the right word, but very sensuous food, right? Like goat cheese is very sensuous. Lamb with with a a, a lamb jus is very intense. Uh, Lobster tempura with caviar, you know, between the crunch and the luxuriousness of the lobster it seems to me like your food in a in a subtle way, I mean, yes, it is uh, enhanced with, with actual cannabis, which I want to talk about in a second, but it seems to me uh, kind of tailored to the kind of heightened sensory uh, perception we have when, when we are maybe a little bit high. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my focus when I'm creating my recipes isn't so much about maximizing the THC, but really looking at the terpene profile within that cannabis strain. Terpenes are the flavor and aroma of cannabis, but they're also responsible for the effects that we feel. 
So the industry teaches us sativa and indica, but it's actually a lot more in depth than that. It's it's these individual terpenes that make us have the munchies or make us tired or give us energy. So we can actually pinpoint, you know, isolate those terpenes. We can pair them with the botanical terpenes from plants, fruits, and herbs, and really kind of create this arc of experience for our guests from courses one to five. So, you know, I'm really looking at this whole arc there, um, you know, between those five courses, what terpenes are being found from course one to two to three. You know, I don't want my guests sedative and tired at the very start. We want to save that until dessert for when they leave and go home. So um, there's a lot more thought that goes into it than just, you know, adding in maybe a little bit of cannabis oil or butter. And, um, you know, I find elevating the dishes and giving people, um, you know, maybe things they're not going to get to, you know, eat every day. You know, it's a treat. This is a, you know, special experience for them. So, you know, those are all thoughts to go into my menu when I'm creating it. And you just alluded to something which is not a feature as I understand it, again, just from what I've read, because this was my first time attending a dinner like this. Won't be my last, I should say. You go around and ask people, and this is kind of the only part of the evening that we would say is like the equivalent of taking an order, right? Yeah. Like you do go around and ask people what level uh, of cannabis they want to, consume over the course of the meal, right? And and you just alluded to one to five. What you meant was you use a five-point scale. I think number one was what? Five milligrams of THC spread out over the dinner? Yeah. One is five milligrams, two is 10, three is 25, four is 50, and five is 100. So I have that recommended dosing scale that I offer up to the guests, but I also let people know if you know what your perfect dose is, just tell me when I come around and we can dose that level. Some people have very high tolerances. Most people coming in who are brand new or don't use cannabis very much, they only need two and a half to five milligrams of THC. That's that's going to be the perfect dose for them. It's a, it's a micro dose in a sense, but it's, it's really tailored to their own individual endocannabinoid system. For, for culinary cannabis to be in a restaurant setting, there's going to have to be individual dosing options. A blanket dosing just won't work. I agree with that. Also, this was kind of charming to me. Uh, one of the rules you laid down, or maybe the only rule at the beginning of the night, well, there were two rules. One is don't switch seats because <laughs> the food coming to your seat is the one that's dosed according to your specs, yeah. right? So that was an important note. That got a laugh, yeah. but it was a it was a real note. Yeah. The other was no peer pressure. Uh, I don't know the last time I've heard the word peer pressure outside of talking to my kids, you know? <laughs> uh but is that something that you'd always said uh, in connection with these dinners? Is that something you had to start saying uh, in order to ameliorate what you were witnessing? What, when did that instruction come into being? That, that really became something that I adapted within the first year of doing this, uh, just witnessing groups. You know, because I am, have attracted this kind of curious demographic, there are people that are coming in that are extremely nervous. They're there supporting their partner who loves this. They're wanting to try something new, but they're very nervous that they're going to, you know, consume too much, get sick in front of people. So, you know, when you get a group of friends coming in together, um, more times than not, if it's a group of guys and someone has a low tolerance, you can see people, you know, he's picking a one on the scale, all of his friends are fours and fives, and they push him into something he's not comfortable with. So, you know, I just said, kind of put a foot down, you know, 
for you know we have enough of an uphill battle right now against propaganda and old stigmas around culinary cannabis so part of the things that i teach through my culinary classes is like there's a level of responsibility we have to take as the chef right they're looking to us as like a guide and we need to deliver confidence in them that hey you can trust me i got you i'm not gonna let anything bad happen uh, including your friend's um, you know, manipulating you into a dose that you really don't want to take. I would say not even just people who are, what do you call it, can of curious? Yeah. You know, even if you have smoked marijuana, whatever we want to say, weed, whatever, the range of edible variations, it's not the same. It affects yeah. you very differently. Yeah. It can take a 16 to 90 minutes yeah. uh, with certain things yeah. for the for the high to kick in. And, and you know, there, there are certain packages for edibles that say things like start low go slow right yep. uh because it's a very normal mistake to think something is not affecting you and then overdose i don't mean to the point of like you know what we usually think of with overdose we call it a, we call it a green out a green out right so to take too much and then when it kicks in i mean you could be borderline incapacitated for a couple hours it is it, it's a big it, that's a common mistake you know, with those those 900 plus first time cannabis users I've been able to serve here over the last five or six years, they are the most important demographic for this moving into the mainstream because, you know, if they have a bad experience, we've done nothing but reconfirm these stigmas that they have built around cannabis and, and they'll never touch it again, right? One bad experience for someone, that's usually it. Um, on the flip side, if we dose correctly and we deliver the proper experience, they become your biggest word of mouth components. Like they, they, there's a cool factor to what they did. They tell their friends to me that I think has really pushed the nomad cook along here is, is that demographic who may came in nervous and they went home and you know, the emails I get the next day were, I didn't say anything stupid last night. I remember everything I said. I didn't wake up with a hangover. Um, you know, I, I love getting those emails from people. And so creating a safe space is is a top priority, um, you know, when putting on events like this. I mean, you've alluded now a few times to the stigmas. Are, are the, it's so funny to me. And maybe it's because I live in New York. Uh, and maybe it's because a lot of my friends do this. But the legal infrastructure is being built right now to, to make it, well, I, sh I should say, there are stores all over New York City now selling everything, but technically it's not quite legal yet to sell it here. It's legal to have it. I'm starting to sound like John Travolta at the beginning yeah. of Pulp Fiction, but for me, it's been years since there was really any need to be in the closet about it because at the end of the day, it's either already there or well on its way to being no more of an illegal thing than alcohol you know new york really reminds me of vancouver back in um, 2012 really the the mayor and um, our head of uh police in vancouver came out and said they were no longer going to prosecute um for mar uh, marijuana related offenses vancouver saw over 300 illegal pot shops pop up and operate for four to six years before we ever federally legalized cannabis so you know the stigma around cannabis in canada has always been i felt very it's it's been more accepted especially on the west coast and you know coming down into the u.s market it's been really interesting to see how it's developing down here because each state is independent we have 21 legal rec states now um you know you look in markets like i think california is probably the most developed but maybe oversaturated where i live now in arizona we've got a cannabis hotel 
You know, you can smoke cannabis in your room. You can smoke cannabis poolside. They put events on their rooftop. Um, you have dispensaries with kitchens in them. Um, you can go in and get a taco, a uh, cheeseburger, pizza, and have cannabis added to it. Uh, it's it's really exciting to be at the forefront of this right now and watching it develop and, um, you know, alluding back to the, the stigmas and, and preconceived notions people have, I found it a little comical to go through that when the New York Times article did come out and just reading people's comments below and, you know, there's a lot of people that, oh, why do we got to put weed in everything? And again, that's relating back to this uphill battle of, of having to change minds. And it's not about eating a brownie and getting stoned out of your mind. You know, it's it's about enhancing your sensories and, you know, delivering a food experience um, through a different channel. Yeah. And I guess we should say, you know, there was a very brief thing about 25 years ago with people starting very few people, but some of them started using tobacco in in restaurant cooking. It was a very small thing and it was very short-lived. This is not like that. You don't really taste what most people would think of as the flavor of of marijuana, right? It it's if if any I I mean to be honest, Travis, and maybe I maybe I was missing it. I don't think so. I didn't really even perceive it uh in most dishes except possibly uh as a little bit of maybe like an umami uh quality uh, that it added, but I didn't, it's not a distracting flavor. It's the food was the food at the end of the day. If you go online right now and Google, you know, how to make weed butter, it would give you a recipe. And that recipe is really designed for you to get as high as you can off the brownie. My approach to this is more looking again at those terpene profiles and flavors. So when I'm making my extractions, um, you know, I go by a method that I've kind of dubbed the Sedano method. I had an opportunity back in 2019 to first come to New York and do my first cannabis. I, I collaborated with other chefs um, who had an underground cannabis supper club called 20 Past Four. His name was Chef Chris Sedano. Um, and he showed me a different method about creating his extractions that I don't think he had dived that much or too deep into it, but I went home with it and it, it really clicked with me, you know, of, of, of looking at the temperatures that you're cooking and making your extractions at, because as we know, as we start to heat any sort of green sauce or herb, we start to brown it. And when you look at cannabis butter, if it is a, a dark green or a dark brown color, you can start to see that it's had too much temperature applied to it. So there's a lot more science now applied to the extraction process of you know going low and slow and i may have to use three or four times more flour cannabis flour to create the same potency but my extractions are more flavorful they're more palatable they're aromatic i'm really focusing on those those tastes and those smells to help achieve the the entourage effect through cannabis what are your thoughts about how this is going to eventually and i i, I actually think there's going to come a my personal opinion is there's going to be a tipping point sooner than later, but I'd love your more informed opinion, how this is going to start to ripple into restaurants. I, to me, this seems like it's inevitable. Uh, yeah. From a business standpoint, you know, we're, we're reading all the time and I have more and more people in my life who are cutting way back on their consumption of alcohol. I drink when I go out to dinner. I'll, we should say your dinner was alcohol free. Uh, oh. But I do drink at restaurants. I drink much less at home than I used to. But that is a significant, in a bottom line way, cost to restaurants. They are losing money 
by people drinking less. I do believe a lot of people I know who who don't drink or who drink much less than they used to still consume, you know, THC, CBD with some regularity. I actually, I'm not advocating this, I should say, but I, I know a few people who are, and, and sobriety can mean different things to different people. I know people who were alcohol is concerned are sober. They don't drink at all. They had a drinking problem, but they still consume weed, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems to me, if nothing else, from a business standpoint, I think the scale's gonna tip a little bit in the direction of cannabis finding its way into restaurants, if nothing else, for business reasons, because I think there is, as as the legality around this changes and as people do get more you know, knowledgeable and there's less of a stigma, I, I have to think it's gonna find its way into restaurants. And I think that may start to change much more quickly than people think it's going to. What are your thoughts about that? No, absolutely. I, I mean, I still think we're a ways before the actual restaurant has it. Um, I think the first thing we'll see are these consumption lounges coming in. I think it's a race personally between New York and Las Vegas for the first cannabis restaurant. Las Vegas has just approved eight consumption lounges. However, no one wants to finish the build outs because there's still a whole bunch of gray area of what's allowed and what isn't when it comes to food safety. Food safety. Yes, right. Cross, cross contamination. You know, there, there's going to have to be some programs put in place where people are being trained properly. That's part of what we're doing with our culinary cannabis certification program right now, making sure that people understand, uh, you know, this proper safety procedures and best practices that they need to apply in there. We're seeing a huge pushback from the casinos. Um, you know, there's no dispensaries allowed within a certain range of the strip in Vegas. Um, you know, the casinos are worried because if people aren't drinking, are they gambling all their money away, right? So there's a big pushback from big business still because they're not sure what to do with cannabis yet. However, when you look at New York, you know, you've got Chef Miguel Trinidad, who is, you know, one of the OGs of culinary cannabis um, operating with the 99th floor here, uh, chef for hire. There, there, are, there are a handful of culinary cannabis chefs in New York hosting events on a monthly basis. There is a huge desire for it. It's a massive population within the city. I think New York is where it's going to happen. And and that's partly why I'm coming in every six, seven weeks right now hosting events is um, I want to be part of the magic there. Why do you say New York and Vegas and not, for example, uh, Los Angeles, where it's been uh, legal for so long now, or even Chicago, where where which is a very cutting edge food city? I'm I'm not I, you know better than I do, but I'm just curious why you don't name those places. Because California has too many regulations. It's going to be, I think, just impossible for someone. Not impossible, but they're going to make it very hard for the first person to do it. Uh, Chicago just. I mean, it, Chicago could be. I, it's another market that I'm hosting Nomadic Nights in. I uh, will be there on March 10th. We've sold it out. So again, the desire is there for it. Um, I just look at the pace of what's happening in New York. I, I, I do not think you can stop this train. When I came um, last June, um, after not being in New York through the whole pandemic and seeing the amount of cannabis shops everywhere and the food truck cannabis shops, and it the cannabis has consumed the city um i think some people are a little unhappy about that um you know it's a pendulum and it, it'll swing back a little bit but um 
I do. I, I, I just think New York is where it's going to happen. We're seeing an exodus from the cannabis industry, people from the West now moving out to the East Coast. Um, you know, the states that are coming wrecked now, they're going to get to learn from the mistakes that the first couple states made, you know, Colorado, Oregon, uh, California. I, I think, uh, you know, these states coming in, they're, they're just going to learn from the ones that went first. Uh, Canada is a perfect litmus test of, you know, what you should and shouldn't do when federally rolling this out. So we got Germany coming, um, you know, recreational uh, with cannabis in 2024. The, the dominoes have fallen. This is just going to start to open up and more and more Western, you know, democratic countries. You also, Travis, uh uh, bill yourself as a cannabis uh, educator. Uh, what exactly does that mean, and how do you do that? What's the what's the format yeah. in which you do that? So, in 2021, I partnered up with a company called Russell Hendricks. They were the largest supplier of equipment and appliances for restaurants in Canada, and they went out and got me four culinary sponsors from Vitamix, Big Green Egg, Paco Jet, uh, and Churchill. And we launched the first recognized culinary cannabis certificate for safety in Canada. And we traveled across the country and we certified 250 culinary professionals. And what we noticed was the media really grabbed onto this story because it was culinary brands supporting a cannabis initiative, you know. And in that sense, you know, they want to make sure that the future development of, you know, chefs coming up have all that proper information and education so the certificate that i launched um up in canada led to me writing my first cookbook which came out last fall uh introduction to culinary cannabis um and you know now i'm actually developing a master class online that we can start taking around part of my goal is there are you know culinary institutions all across north america that aren't offering anything for culinary cannabis yet there's a reluctancy to be first, I think. So we want to develop a program that we can take to the schools that they can offer to their students after hours, right? And so the school can still be progressive in offering this class, but don't necessarily have to implement it in, in class learning. And we want to be able to offer it to anyone who wants to learn from home. So, um, you know, I feel the more education on safety that we can promote out there, um, you know, the less college brownie stories we'll hear where people decide to make weed brownies blind to all the details and information and then, you know, end up getting sick and graining out. That's part of my mission out here is to promote this as the new frontier in the culinary world. All right. Well, Travis, again, I had a, I really enjoyed the dinner the other night. I personally am glad to see these things uh, starting to develop and change in general. I mean, in the culinary realm as well, but just in general to see the stigma falling away from this. And I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing what you're up to. Appreciate you having me, Andrew, and thanks for coming for dinner. And that's our show for today. My thanks again to Travis Peterson for joining us. Again, I'd love it if you please pre-ordered my book, The Dish. The link for that is in today's show notes wherever you listen to the pod. If you'd like to learn more about Travis or see about tickets to his next event, that information is also linked to on the episode notes for today's show. 
Andrew Talks to Chefs is produced by Table 12 Productions. The show is written, booked, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Andrew Friedman. If you would like to support us, we ask that you do that by telling a friend, posting about the show on social media, or rating and or reviewing us at Apple Podcasts. Our thanks, as always, to After School Special for our music. Please check out their album, Double Barrel, Single Entendre, on iTunes. Please follow us on Instagram. The show's handle there is at Chef Podcast. And my personal handle, where you can follow my restaurant and writing adventures, is at Tokeland Andrew. That's T-O-Q-U-E-L-A-N-D. Andrew, thank you for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of Andrew Talks to Chefs.